Welcome back to the ADMS podcast. I'm Natalie Campbell, and in this episode, we're revisiting another fantastic panel from the 2022 Future Automated Mobility Symposium, titled Interdisciplinary and Multi-Stakeholder Automated Mobilities. In this episode, ADMS researcher Professor Sarah Pink is joined by Ishra Pakesh, Ian Christensen, Vicky Fors, Marlon LeBecker, and Thomas Lindgren to discuss how collaboration in the transport sector can help achieve fair, trustworthy, and safe ADM systems in future automated mobilities. We're going to be talking about interdisciplinary and multi-stakeholder automated mobilities. And what we want to consider then is what do future automated mobilities look like from the perspective of different stakeholders across industry, public sector, academic, government-funded initiatives. So I'm really kind of delighted to bring together this group of people who come from all of these different sectors and from different places, bringing different experiences and different perspectives, which will give us a chance to compare, um, maybe to think about how we learn from each other, and also to think about how we might want to go forward in new initiatives and, and what are the best ways to bring together those different stakeholders and experiences. Now, I'm going to ask each of our panelists to briefly introduce themselves and their work and where they're positioned in this kind of field of bringing together different stakeholders and, and disciplines, the organizations that they're involved with and they work with or for, um, to give us a little bit of their perspectives and experiences from their own voices. And um, after that, I'll have a couple of questions, but I would really like to open it up to the floor for everybody else to ask our panel questions and to bring to the surface what you're interested in, and also to invite the panel to ask each other questions, should you also wish to make those connections here on the, from the stage. All right, then, so welcome, everybody, and um, we'll, we'll go in order, so we'll just start with Ishra. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Ishra Baksh. And I am the Executive Director of the Mobility as a Service Program in the Queensland Department of Transport and Main Roads. So I thought I'd start today with just to set a little bit, set the scene about sort of where we're from and, and focus on a little bit of work that we're doing in the mobility as a service space. And thank you to Sarah and the team for inviting us, um, inviting us to speak. So um, I lead a program in the department which is called Mass and Mobility. And essentially, um, our director general, who's the CEO of, of our organization, came to me one day and he said, I want you to go and implement mobility as a service. And he walked out of the room and he said, my door's open if you have any questions. So, <laughs> um, and, and I didn't come from um, you know, a, a transport background. I actually worked in our registration and licensing world. I was a data analyst there. So we pulled together a multidisciplinary team. So we selected one person from each of our divisions in the department who had a certain skill set, and we pulled them together and we did a six-month piece of work to explore what mobility as a service was. The challenges that we had were um, different people in our department had positive and negative thoughts towards mass. Um, they all had a different definition of it, so that's what we really tried to um, focus on in the first couple of, couple of months. So we really define it as that integrated, uh, you know, journey planning, booking and payment for multimodal journeys. And it's a piece of the puzzle. So it's not the silver bullet that's going to fix everything, but it's a piece of the puzzle in broader mobility. And what I always say is mass will be of value to our customers when um, we create better mobility conditions on our network. So over the years, we've done quite a bit of work with our customers, with industry, 
um, with academia in, in researching and understanding what mobility as a service is. Um, something that um, we as a team always think about is we did an initial piece of research with our customers in Queensland. I don't know if you visited our great state. It's very big. It's often very hot. Our first and last mile um, challenge is quite large. Um, you know, sometimes it's a couple of hundred kilometres. So it's a, it's a very unique state. We have um, great opportunities coming towards us. The 2032 Olympics will be hosted in Queensland. Um, and that has brought a lot of thinking about how we're going to provide sustainable, accessible, equitable services to our customers. But when we said to our customers, what do you think about, you know, mobility as a service? They said, well, that sounds amazing, but can you get the bus to run on time? And can you make um, that station accessible? Can you um, give me the information that I need to actually travel around on the network? So we thought, okay, well, well let's trial mobility as a service. So um, we're very fortunate to have a partnership with iMove and, and Ian's on the panel here. Um, and a partnership with the University of Queensland um, at St. Lucia, which is very close to Brisbane City. And we're running a trial there called Odin Pass. And Odin Pass is a, a trial with the staff and students, um, which trials a subscription-based products, mobility as a service product. So we've developed an application with a company called Skedgo, and we have a number of different partners that are part of that, that from a transport service provider perspective. Um, in Queensland, we have integrated ticketing already, so bus, train, tram, and ferry. Um, that's a government-subsidised um, service that we provide. And we've got Neuron and Beam, e-bikes and e-scooters. We've got our taxi companies, um, Go Get Car Share, uh, your private car and, and your motorbike, cycling and walking are all part of um, are all part of this trial. So that trial is really building the evidence behind mobility as a service and what it could look like in the future in Queensland. Um, you know, I think in mobility as a service is often seen as, you know, in Queensland we're seeing it as a, as a, as a piece that we'll need to encourage a shared autonomous vehicle future. So it's, it's really around that sharing. Um, you know, a lot of people still question the value of mass. So having that research trial with the university is really, like I said, building that evidence around, around what we'll need. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution in Queensland. Um, you know, we don't go to our communities and say, you're never going to need your car ever again. In Queensland, that is, isn't necessarily... Um, a, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we have quite regionally-based communities. So... This is really about um, here are the choices and options that you will have in the future to travel around our network. We want that to be affordable and accessible and equitable um, for our customers. Personally, I'm quite passionate about the impact that transport and mobility can have on our community. Um, social isolation and loneliness, particularly coming out of COVID, you know, the ability for our customers to be able to leave their home and be able to connect to their family, their friends, um, to work, to, you know, to the arts, to, to education, to health um, is really important. So we tend to keep that um, front of mind when we, we think about what we're doing, but testing and trialling is, is where we're at with mobility as a service. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that context of Australian car culture is something that we, we kind of do need to keep with us in all of our discussions in this, um, this symposium, actually, as well. It's a great reminder. 
Um, I'd like to hand over to Ian now because for continuity. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think we're telling a bit of a story across the group. Uh, thank you. So I'm Ian Christensen and I run the iMove Cooperative Research Centre. So being a cooperative research centre means we're part of the federal government's cooperative research centres program. And the aim of that program is to uh, help bring universities and industry, or industry and government, together to work on industry and government defined problems. Over the years, there have been CRCs in lots of different industry areas, uh, but iMove is focused on transport and mobility. We're trying to find ways to improve the movement of people and goods. And so we come to transport with a very broad perspective. I would say you know, transport exists only to serve people, whether it's people moving to meet each other or people moving to a place of work that they can't do at home, or people receiving goods that they require. At the end of the day, transport is there to serve people. And <laughs> even though iMove was established, in a sense, to focus on the emerging technologies that can be brought to bear to improve transport, at the end of the day, we have to, we have to view those technologies through a human lens, a people lens, because the technologies have to be harnessed to the human task of moving and meeting. So, we at IMO, we, we try not to be too specific about the research agenda. We, we actually leave it to our government and industry partners to come to us with the problems or the opportunities that they most want to resolve. And then we look around our whole cohort of universities and other expert people and, and pull together for every problem the, the cohort or the, the, the little consortium of skill sets that collectively together we believe can make progress. So uh, in that sense, we, we cover a very, very wide space. Uh, on, on the one hand, we do a lot of work on uh, network optimization, congestion management, traffic, uh, automated and connected vehicles, uh, through to supply chain optimization, uh, condition management of uh, uh, fragile or uh, perishable goods, through to um, journey planning, to, to mobility as a service, to journey experience, uh, through on through to transport sustainability, meaning uh, social equity, so access to transport services, having realistic, you know, what parts of the community have realistic options around the way their transport um, pattern, uh, and through finally to decarbonisation and environmental sustainability. So it's an enormous range. Uh, I think I, this morning I signed up our 175th project. So we, we, we do a lot of different stuff, and it's, it's fun and exciting. It's, I'm, really, uh, um, I'm really motivated by the, the vigor with which the Australian transport sector has grasped this opportunity to experiment with the new technologies, to try stuff out, to see what works, to, see, to, to understand better the nature of the problem and the nature of people's needs in order to make, improve their movement and uh, improve and, uh, let's say we say, 
make their journey experience more satisfactory. So. Wonderful. Thanks, Ian. I, and I, I thought it was super important the way that you have, both of you actually have emphasized people, and um, which is also the core of our work in the people program in ADMNS and, and for, some, for us in this focus area. And um, I think it also kind of leads really beautifully into Vika's talk. Um, Vika's oh, going to yes. begin with a video, I understand. Yes. Um, so uh, thank you, Ian, for presenting me. <laughs> it was almost uh, exactly what I was going to say when I was going to present myself. But actually, um, we do similar things. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm from a... Oops. I'm from a Swedish university called Halmstad University. I have a team here. Uh, some of them sit here, some of them sit down there. I will present them in the next session. Um, we have the AHA project on display down on the boards down there. And that is the project that is, uh, we are sort of here to, to talk about in different ways. And um, our communication department did a small short film that I would like us to have a look at now uh, before I say everything that's in the film. All right, so uh, you could, could you please put it on? Thank you. AHA2 is an innovation project. It is uh, funded by Try Sweden, which is one of Sweden's 17 uh, innovation programs. And it is about people-centric future mobility and how we can create new design visions, concepts and scenarios based on people's uh, values, knowledge and uh, hopes and fears. One of the main points of, of the AHA project has been to bring a human-centered approach to these possible uh, futures or scenarios that we see emerging. Uh, we have done that through a very collaborative process and approach where we wanted to integrate uh, different partners and perspectives with the uh, citizens and research agendas to try and develop uh, common understandings of what might be the best way forward. An urban living lab uh, is used to create uh, a space that can integrate citizens or different stakeholders into uh, a creative and collaborative process. So we wanted to use the Living Lab as a way to, to put it into specific communities with uh, people that we didn't know yet, uh, so that the stakeholders and the municipalities uh, were also forced to engage from that perspective rather than uh, from, their, from their normal vantage point. So we were asking questions about how can we design together with people instead of just for? So in our two different urban living labs that we've established in Helsingborg and Gothenburg, we spent a lot of time with the people there. Uh, we've done field work in different ways. We've done speculative workshops. We created, co-created together with our stakeholders, insights around these, these materials and then brought it back to the citizens. And what we noticed is that social sustainability is actually a key feature in future mobility that might have been neglected too much as far. Um, because what we noticed is that we need to think about the existing social fabric in these communities. Otherwise, we might just implement or try to implement technology that rips that apart. The concepts that we have created are based on um, 
on the social values in these communities. And it, mm, we have seen that it actually looks a bit different from, from the, the mainstream um, technology features that comes out at the moment. Som vi alla vet och som de flesta människor förstår så har vi ett mobilitetsproblem i hela världen. Vi transporterar saker för mycket och människor för mycket och för ofta och på fel sätt. Och att liksom lösa det, inte bara för vårt närområde utan för liksom planetens framtid i princip. Så begriper man när man är i ett sådant projekt att det går liksom inte att göra genom att varje egen part gör mer av vad de gör idag. Utan det måste ske i någon form av samförstånd tillsammans för att göra det liksom fungerande för alla, för både städer och människor och liksom vår natur och planet. Det tror jag är liksom de viktigaste långsiktiga påverkan en sån här typ av initiativ har. Och det borde finnas fler och det borde fortsätta också. Det faktum att vi sitter i samma rum, jag representerar en biltillverkare tillsammans med stadsplanerare på olika nivåer och vi börjar skapa ett gemensamt språk. Vi vill känna varandras olika perspektiv på utveckling. De tidsperspektiv vi har på utveckling. En bil tas fram på under tio år. En stad behöver betydligt längre tid för att planera infrastruktur. Bilindustrin har utvecklat bilar för privatpersoner som äger bil och som använder den på ett begränsat sätt. Men om vi samarbetar med andra parter, till exempel städer, så kan vi skapa förutsättningar för att dela bil, ladda bil, självkörande bilar och så vidare. Ett överraskande resultat det har väl varit det här att det ligger så mycket värde i en resa. En resa är inte bara att ta sig från punkt A till B utan det finns väldigt många sociala aspekter kopplade till resan. Och att de här värdena eller som då kopplat till värderingar som människor har också styr människors val. I de etnografiska studierna så får vi ju höra människors egna berättelser för oss som ska säga, planerar av vägtransportsystemet så är det jätteviktigt att få reda på. För vi tänker ju och har planerat för att det ska vara så effektivt som möjligt. Men vi behöver ju lära oss att tänka på ett annat sätt här och se hur, vad betyder det för vår verksamhet att de sociala värdena är så viktiga. Jag tror att vi får en ökad förståelse för varandras utmaningar. Där kanske företagen går in med, med sina lösningar som de tror och tänker att, att samhället behöver eller att individerna efterfrågar. Och vi planerar ju stad kanske utifrån våra perspektiv och hur vi brukar göra. Men i projektet som har utgått från människan i sig och människans behov. Och det är väl det som har varit för mig personligen i alla fall väldigt intressant att få tänka på det istället. Fungerar det här faktiskt för de som ska använda det här i slutändan? Kan vi göra någonting tillsammans där vi båda uppfyller det som faktiskt invånare och samhället behöver? För att det ska bli en mobilitet som är värdefull för varje människa i framtiden då måste vi förstå varandra och vi måste faktiskt ha kanske inte exakt samma vision men vi måste ha en förståelse för varandra. Idag så tror jag att vi många tror vi vet vad vi gör. Så att jag från, företag, eh, från ett företags sida tror jag vet vad staden står för och vad staden har. Och samma sak tillbaka. Det här gör att vi många gånger utvecklar och producerar saker som vi faktiskt sen inte matchas ihop med. Och när akademin kommer in och har ett forskningsprojekt så blir det en neutral mark där vi faktiskt kan diskutera och debattera. Utifrån det här så har vi faktiskt flera andra troligtvis partners och stakeholders som finns runt om oss som också måste vara med i den här dialogen. Men AHA har verkligen, och det har varit superviktigt att faktiskt träffas 
och prata och diskutera mobilitet och vad vi vill. I would say that firstly we created a methodology that actually brings different stakeholders together around a people-centric and also I would say planet-centric agenda. And the second thing is that we created these two concepts uh, that could be applied in any setting, but then to go into the implementation phase, you need to really be careful uh, for what people you're designing with and bring those elements into the concepts and create actual, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it solutions. Uh, I would say uh, opportunities for people to use these things um, according to their own logics. Um, I, I chose to show this video because um, one of the, uh, I guess hope was one of the themes for this panel and this project was really hopeful in getting different stakeholders together and that was what I wanted to bring into today. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful, and also introduce some familiar faces. Um, <laughs> so, so we'll lead into Marlon now. I don't need to say anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> so done. Uh, so I'm from Volvo Cars. Uh, I am working with mobility strategy there. Um, have been there for a long time. I actually sometimes I tell people that, and that is true. I started out in a department that no longer exists at Volvo. So I developed engines for 12 years. And we don't have engines anymore at Volvo because we moved on to batteries. It's all electrical at the moment. And just to see that that is changing in the world, is a, you have to embrace the change and really move and see the change that it is something that is fun and that is you have to actually change if you're gonna live on this planet anymore. So nowadays I work with uh, actually our new processes around the car and how it could fit into other mobility services that just private owners. Wonderful. Thank you, so now we move on to Thomas. Yeah, thank you. I'm uh, also uh, working at Volvo Cars for a very long time. Maybe not as long as you, but it was only two years, I think, in difference. So 23 <laughs> years for me, so then you can calculate how many years Mollen has been working. So, but the recent five years, I have uh, been doing my PhD at Halmstad University, uh, and where I kind of, I mean, I've been working with user experience even before the term was used as with the use experience at uh, Volvo Cars. Um, so um, uh, I have now my PhD in informatics and, and, uh, and the topic was kind of anticipatory user experiences. Um, and I become quite natural starting point where kind of um, with, with cars and looking at the experience of cars in the beginning, very focused on human factors in the early days, like making the car easy to understand and drive and those things. And then shifting in when digitalization started to come in, into cars, into these screens, and suddenly also emotion, emotional aspects become important as well. So UX became mostly about the uh, experience sitting in the car and interacting with those systems. Um, but then the, now the recent years, we have this huge 
wave of digitalization in cars, which, and with digitalization here, I mean both that we suddenly can experience cars not, not only as physical by driving, but we can experience them through social media, through online configurators in very immersive ways. Um, and also, like the cars is now also evolving through these software updates and intelligent algorithm that tries to adapt to your usage. Uh, so it's um, never ever evolving product uh, compared to before. And the third thing, uh, which also suddenly it connects to so many other things in people's lives, kind of, I mean, uh, other ecosystems such as energy or, or mobility services and, and um, um, also other, other products, which means that suddenly what we thought in the beginning well, that the car was always in center and then we had a user interacting with the car that was kind of, and we had the full control of the experience. And now suddenly the car is maybe only a part of people's everyday lives in an ecosystem that it needs to fit, that people choose a car that fits to their home energy service system or mobility service, uh, which is kind of, we have to shift the way how we think about user experience. And that was the kind of starting point for my PhD. Um, so I've been kind of under, trying to understand this, how, how people's anticipatory experiences um, evolves with these new technologies. And, uh, and I've been involved in, in actually, during this PhD in two uh, multi-stakeholder projects, not the AHA project, so, so there's two different other ones. The first one. The first one I was part of, but that was not really part of my PhD. But, um, <laughs> and and uh, in, in this case, it was very more, more close to solutions and see what really happens when we bring in these new technologies into people's everyday lives. So the first project was kind of huge. It was started off with this Drive Me project. I don't know if anyone heard of this, but well, it was started in this phase when all kind of car manufacturers thought that we will have full self-driving cars at 2020. And Volvo, we thought that as well. And, but we also understood that it might be important to also understand what people really think about and, and how it really works. So I was, have been kind of um, going along with, with five families that had opportunity to actually drive almost full self-driving cars. Um, uh, in the end, we, we actually, also fooled them that it was fully self-driving. They had a rear seat driver in the back seat with a steering wheel, but they didn't see it. So they thought, and we said, now we have managed to get to this level where you can just close your eyes, you can have your hand off, just put in where you need to go. And they was like, oh, this is so, so amazing. You have really done it. Um, and, and then we had to show them, okay, there was a reason. Yeah, I thought it was driving so nice and smoothly. <laughs> Um, so, and, and that uh, created so much knowledge how actually people, when they are in the, their own situation, in their own context, on their own road, compared to this test, what we in the past we've been putting that in simulators and trying to, I mean, there's so many uh, things you'd, you find out in those ways. And the other uh, project was about uh, relevant project, which is about smart charging of EVs in, in private households. And that also was an interesting project from the start because as um, talking, we have also a lot of multi-stakeholder there, but I think it's interesting also how these different stakeholders within Volvo also look upon this in different ways. 
like I had an engineer that was developing the software for this smart charging algorithm and he just said to me in the beginning like why should we even provide them with some interface? I mean people come home, they plug in the, the uh, cable and we let the algorithm charge at the lowest price and done in the morning. And he has really changed his mind now when he has really seen what happens when, when the people or families get hold of this uh, technology. It's not that easy. The life is really not that uh, predictable. Uh, and, and he was almost uh, crying to me now when, when he get this empathy with those uh, users when they said, phoned him and we have some problem. The car is not short in the morning. I cannot go to work. And he said, Ah, oh, we have to fix this in some way. So I, I kind of, it's, it's amazing how it's kind of this understanding and, and for all people, not just making a, focusing on making a software algorithm. So. Great, thank you. I think what, for me, what's been so interesting listening to everybody is that it seems to me that you've kind of captured a moment of change, a moment of the kind of transition to digitalization moment of focusing differently in projects and moment of focus on, on, um, on people in the real world. And um, it seems to me there is some kind of a step change happening in terms of the technologies that are available and being developed, but also a step change in approach as well. Um, I could ask some questions about that, but first I wanted to see if there are any questions coming from the audience, because I could, I could ask, I've got lots of questions. Um, I wanted to give people a chance just to start thinking about what you'd like to ask, if there's nothing now. Um, Helen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, lots of thought-provoking comments. And Thomas, it was your comment about the 2020, um, the big hype that existed yeah. then. And I do recall I was looking after a project to, um, to understand the impact on registration licensing systems if the automated vehicles were in our network in Australia in 2020. And, and I think at the same time, I was sitting on some of those meetings, Sarah, that you talked about in Emma's report, um, where decisions were being made and there was this fast race. And being in the industry that Volvo is, you're in that race to get products into the market. So what I'm interested in is, what is this new window of opportunity in the space that we're in now when we think about the, the people, the humans, and the products that we're designing for our network, what does that mean for Volvo today? Uh, you mean related to uh, um, autonomous driving or specifically? Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, the, it's still we are coming closer to it, but I think we have changed the idea how it, it will not be this dramatic change that suddenly we have full autonomous cars. I think it, we will see this more and more where, where people kind of, I think we have to think more about a, collaborative uh, driving together where, where cars can uh, support people in making the driving more safe and, and kind of um, avoid when, when people do mistakes, they can be there and kind of uh, avoid those mistakes and, and accidents. I think that will be maybe the new way of looking for it. And then eventually in the end, they probably will be able to take over a quite large amount of the driving. So, so I think that has changed rather from this direction that we will just pr provide with cars that will be fully self-driving, so. I can also add on that one. <clears throat> I think it was the engineers sometimes. I'm an engineer myself, so I can really blame myself and all of us. Thinking it is much more easier than it was. 
what is happening around the world at the moment. Last year, for example, Waymo went to every country in Europe and withdrew their introduction of the Waymo services because it's too hard. Because when you're doing it, you need to understand the human behavior. And they, it is different kinds of human behavior in every city. And you have a kind of a culture in every city in the world as well and in everywhere in the world how the cars should behave. And what we have seen, you know, uh, uh, Uber, they did it first in, uh, in Pennsylvania, no, in the city there uh, where we were. You were. No, but what was the name? Uh, no, not in Arizona. I was thinking of the first Uber city in, on the East Coast in Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, exactly. And they had a um, culture there of having left turns, not normally as the rest of US cities had. And suddenly they had to teach the AD cars to go to do that left turn, even if that was not really how the rules were. So you always have to adapt. And that is what Waymo are doing now. Now they're taking city by city in the US. That's where they start, because it's not the same in the US either. So then the human behavior and the people comes in. And I think when you are an engineer and you, we have been fixing the cars and we have been developing the cars ourselves and sometimes way too crazy as well because the cars sometimes are very technical and they are very high tech and it's sometimes hard for a person to actually understand every function. And you should not feel stupid. If we're then going into car sharing and you're jumping between cars, it needs to be easy to understand. And uh, that is something that we have started to learn now because, yeah, we may be not ruling the world engineers anymore. We need to listen to the people. <laughs> that is, so I think the 80 will come and then, uh, but it will go much, much slower than it is to, than we thought back in the days. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if I could paraphrase your question with a, another question to our Volvo colleagues. So, but just to start, so I've been around long enough to remember when cars were a prized possession mm -hmm. and we saved up uh, long and hard to buy one and then we polished it on Sundays, we put it in yeah. the drive, we washed the hose, washed it, beautiful. Things moved on a little bit, but the, the car industry uh, became very expert in tailoring the, the vehicle package to me, to, to a personality, to, to, to make it be part of your life so that you can identify with it. And yes, so we did. Yeah, and so, we did it for you, the white heterosexual man, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably true, yeah. probably true. Yeah. But, and, and now we're progressing further, so, so cars are capable of more things, they can interact in more ways. But if I, if I hear Ishra, I, I'm thinking that cars are probably part of a transport system. Uh, and so I'm wondering, my question to, to my Volvo colleagues is, where is Volvo's thinking about the role that Volvo cars will play in, you know, the Swedish, or in fact, any transport yeah, but system. We're moving on to really look at different kinds of business models and really trying. That's my job to try to get the product to fit. But I have to mindset 7,000 engineers to actually change. <laughs> and 
and also the full company a little bit. But we have taken the decision that we would like to be a part of the future, of course, or we will die, uh, and we don't want to die. Uh, so it, to do that, we need to see different kinds of products. And in urban uh, areas, you maybe need to have one product. And then still you will have countryside like you have in Queensland, uh, probably, and up in the northern Sweden. We also have a lot of places where maybe you will own your car because there is no really other way to actually transport yourself. And uh, we need to look into different kinds. And that's, we start very small, but we have uh, both car sharing within Volvo. We have subscription, different kinds of subscription. So it's like, we're trying, but then you need to move in and you need to look, <laughs> you need to see what is the customers in these different areas then, and maybe look at that. And then how does that transfer into the product of the car? How can we change that then? So it's also fits because it's very expensive product. To develop a car, it's loads of money. We cannot create a car for, that just works for one business model. We have to make a car that works for every business model. And then it comes to a complex platform issue. Maybe I can bring Baike and Ishra into this discussion as well because we're kind of moving from the car to the future mobility systems that the car is going to be part of, aren't we? So, um, I was wondering if the both of you would like to reflect as, as different kinds of stakeholders in this um, process as well. Where do you see the car fitting in? And, 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 how, and how do you bring together stakeholders around the car or is the car decentered in, in the way that you're thinking about those features? I think from a Queensland context, our customers um, speak for us often, and, our, and and what we saw in Queensland and, and probably many other cities, you know, across the world, our customers created the service that they weren't getting. So they created Uber. You know, they didn't wait for government to um, regulate it. They they were there, and we were all using it. Um, you know, they've created micro mobility, which is really popular in Queensland because it's a really viable first and last mile option to help people get to where they need to go to. Probably what we found as a team, and, and it's a little bit controversial, is that where we sit in, in our department is a little bit different um, to some of our other teams. So, you know, we have good relationships with transport service providers, with tech companies, with accessibility groups, you know, a whole bunch of different um, people with car manufacturers. You know, we're always talking because we want to learn as well and we want to understand where people's business models are heading. So as a government... You know, we often say we're a network steward and we're, and we're trying to look after the network. We can understand where everybody fits in um, because we can't do it all ourselves. You know, we, we can't achieve our vision by ourselves. I think what is really exciting is that you're, we're trying to introduce government to, um, you know, they're kind of used to traditional transport companies. You know, big vendors, big technology vendors who have been established for a very long time um, you know, trucking companies and all of these different people that we, we work with, construction companies and, and engineering companies, and they are all diversifying and looking at different business models within their own business. And they're coming to us from a um, mobility thought leadership perspective, a sustainability perspective, an accessibility and inclusion perspective. And we as a team want to be really open to that. So we're trying to introduce government to these organisations that they may have been used to dealing with from a regulatory perspective, which can often create quite a bit of conflict in, in a conversation. And 
what I really loved about the video that you, show, you showed was it's about understanding each other. Um, and I think that's what we've tried to introduce through the Odin Pass trial. You know, we deal with Uber and Beam and GoGet and, you know, we talk to the Arthritis Queensland about, you know, how long does someone need to be able to get up from their seat and, and be able to walk to the next stop or that type of thing. So I think it's just about understanding each other is, is really important and from a public sector perspective, also understanding that companies are changing that business model and have really clear goals that sometimes the government doesn't have around sustainability and accessibility and inclusion. And we want to work with them to understand how they fit into, you know, Thomas, you talked about that broader ecosystem. It's so much more yeah. than, than what it used to be. And we need to open our mind to, to that. Um, it's a cultural change within government. And we find that often quite challenging because um, people have worked there for a long time and, and they've done this, you know, the same role for a long time. And, and we kind of say, these are the rules. And if you don't stick to the rules, this is what we're going to do to you. Or it's more about what is the outcome that we're all trying to achieve together and how do we do that together? Yeah. Yeah, challenging, but really exciting. Micah, do you want to follow up? Um, I can just say that uh, the AHA project was funded through a particular funding scheme that I will talk about in the next session. But it's governmentally funded because they understand that we need to ask people who usually are not asked. So we, and I'm so happy that we had Volvo cars in the project and the cities and that we all agreed on moving into areas where there actually are no premium customers, or potential premium customers, at least in one of them, more in the other maybe. But, uh, and I'm so fascinated by the fact that the gap between what is developed and what actually people know about what is developed is just increasing. And as long as that gap increases, um, the implementation is not going to happen. And, uh, you know, people just want the bus to come in time, you know. They don't care if there is an autumn, uh, you know, the, the AD hype around self-driving cars. They just want to get to work. And the fact is that the cost and time efficiency is just a discourse that is actually not very realistic. It's a very privileged view on traveling from work to home that you can go as fast as possible. Who can do that? There is millions of things you need to do on the way home. It's a very privileged position to say that, oh, we need to make people travel as fast as possible, as seamless as possible, and not even to the bus stop, but actually to their front door. And who can do that? If you ask anyone, oh, I would love that, but I can't, and that is not due to technology. <laughs> I need to go to shops and I need to pick, pick stuff off. And children are going somewhere, you know, all these things. So um, I think what's happening now is that we actually are taking, as you said, uh, you're pulling yourself back a bit and have a look at, okay, so for, for what reason on, on and on the cost of what of implementing these things? So, yeah. And I think also some of the posters along the back and the catalogue um, really demonstrate some of the techniques that you've used as well in your project. 
you know, yes. to bring people, different stakeholders together to actually yeah. work together on those problems, which is, is quite amazing. I don't think yeah, I all the things I just that. said actually comes from working uh, with different stakeholders in discussions with the kind of anchoring tools or transformation tools that we've developed, that we brought in the, you know, anchoring people's voices into it. So these things are insights from the AHA project that came out really nicely. And also, when I say nicely, it's because the, the responsibility for creating these insights were very distributed between the different stakeholders. And that was the nice thing, because everybody that comes out from the project knows this. It's not like we have PowerPointed someone and saying that this is the thing, right? We just co-created it. Yeah. It's interesting how um, it's, a, it's the simple things, isn't it? It's the simple things that our customers want. And when we've spoken to our customers about mobility as a service, people were like, well, how am I going to use mobility as a service when I have a child that I have to drop to daycare on the way to work and they need a car seat? Um, you know, we did some work many years ago with job seekers about um, their journey to their job interview um, that was that was scheduled for them as part of our, um, you know, we have Department of Social Services was doing that work. Not being able to know which platform to go to at the train station because it was so, the wayfinding was so difficult and they were already stressed missing their train to then not get to their job interview and the impact that that had on their life was, you know, incredible the way that they spoke about it. And I think it's the simple things um, that sometimes we as government forget because we're, we're bounding forward with technology and big technology projects and that type of thing. We need to constantly bring it back to our customer. Yeah, yeah so that focused back on, like, on the simple things that people really want and they really need. Yeah, I think it's crucial. And I guess one of the things to also think about is that as individuals, we and, and everybody else are all, all stakeholders as well. The stakeholders aren't just like you know, the car companies and the academics and government and all of the other organisations that are involved. It's actually those real people, all of which we are as well, that living everyday life across a whole, so many diverse communities who really are stakeholders in our mobility futures. Thanks for listening. You can watch the full recording of this session on our YouTube channel by visiting admscenter.org slash YouTube.